This morning our gospel lesson comes from the gospel according to Luke, the 14th chapter, the first verse and verses 7 through 14. Hear now the word of God. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors in case they may, in case they may invite you in return, and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I wonder how many of us, now this is not an occasion for you to raise your hands or anything like that, but I wonder how many of us in the past week shared a meal, enjoyed a meal, with family or friends. Now, I mean a meal where you sit down at a table that's in a room where there's no TV, and if there is a TV, the TV is turned off. Where you're at a room where you're around a table with people where there are no smartphones visible. They may be in pockets, but they're not visible and not being checked. I wonder how many of us have a meal like that once a week, three times a week, Again, I don't want anybody to raise hands, and I also don't especially want anybody to feel guilty if you can't replicate that day in and day out. But I say that because it is something that is increasingly rare. Our schedules make it difficult. But when I think about some of my happiest memories uh, from the time I was a child right up to today, some of my happiest memories, some of my memories of, of feeling included and knowing who I am and who, where I'm from involve sitting around a table with family and friends. Do you, ever have, do you have some of those memories from earlier childhood that you're not real clear why you remember that particular thing, yet that memory is there? Like I'm pretty convinced my very first memory is of us, my mother, my father, and I washing our dog Charlie in the backyard. I don't know why that is, but I'm pretty, when I thought, but, but for whatever reason, that image is stuck in my mind. Well, another memory that's not quite, it was a little later than that, I think I was around the time I was transitioning from four to five. And Ellen, by the way, thinks I make up a lot of the things when I talk about how early some of my memories are. But this one is there, I promise. I would not lie from the pulpit. But that's frowned upon. I don't know if you know that. But um, one of the earliest memories I have is this somewhere around four or five of being in my great aunt and uncle's house. And for whatever reason, their home, um, I don't know because of where it was located, tended to be a place that the extended family 
gathered. And that particular branch of the family gathered a lot. And, and it was the kind of family in that branch anyway. I didn't know the difference between my second cousins and my first cousins. It was just a whole bunch of people all mixed up together. And I remember this occasion. And feels like there were a hundred of us in the house, but it couldn't have been more than about 30. But when you're little, you can't count real high anyway. But I have this memory of being at one of the kids' tables in the living room, of looking through and seeing the grown-ups in the dining room, knowing there were other people in the kitchen, and I don't know why it's in my head, but I'm eating a blueberry muffin. I think it's probably stuck in my head because I love blueberry muffins, but I'm eating this muffin, and I'm seeing these people around, and one of my great aunts is helping me put butter on my muffin. And even now at 44, looking back across four decades, I, this, this sense that I experienced that day can come over me again. A sense of belonging. A sense of peace. A sense of, of, of knowing these are my people. These are the people who've made me who I am, who have nurtured me and molded me. Now, again, I couldn't have articulated all that then. But as I think back upon it now through the years, that sense of this is who I am, this is who I come from, these are my people, that, that has stuck with me all these years later. And I don't think it's a coincidence that it happened around a meal. It happened around the table. Jesus, in this scripture reading, uses a meal to teach us. He uses the idea of a meal to talk to us about how we should see ourselves and how we should see other people. It's worth noting that in the world that Jesus lived in, in that time and that place, there was no such thing as fast food. You didn't just grab a sandwich on your way out the door. There was no, every meal had a, a ritualistic practice that one would go through that we see reenacted, by the way, in communion. Every time we celebrate communion, the ritual actions we go through, the taking of bread and wine, the breaking of bread, the sharing of the cup, the sharing of bread, what we see reenacted are the basic elements of a first century Jewish meal. That's what is being reenacted. And, and while it might not have been as held in such high esteem as one might the Passover meal that Jesus was celebrating with his disciples and that we continue to remember in communion. Every meal, nevertheless, had those elements. Every meal would involve togetherness. Every meal would involve gathering around the table, the blessing and breaking of bread, the sharing of the cup, this sort of ritual but not just empty ritual. It was deep with meaning. It recalled God's saving work for his people. This is the kind of thing that would have happened at every meal of a first century Jewish person, regardless of the context, regardless of whether it was eaten outside under a tree or in a grand dining room. These would have been the actions that would have been gone through. And the people to whom Jesus is speaking in these verses would have understood all that. When they thought of gathering around the table, those are the kind of things they would have thought of. They would have had that symbolism, that idea in mind. To me, it's not a whole lot different when I think about myself as a small child in my great aunt and uncle's house. Every meal had a sense of you are welcome. You are included. You are here. Gather around the table and let's break bread together. Let's share food, share fellowship, enjoy 
being in one another's company. When Jesus is speaking about sharing a meal, that's the kind of thing he's talking about. And for us, things are different, obviously. It's so uncommon for people to sit down and share a meal with family and friends that researchers have done studies about how valuable that sort of thing can be, how sharing a meal together with family and friends can foster a sense of connection and belonging. It can make relationships healthier. I don't think it's coincidence that any time we get together as church, we eat something, don't we? I don't know if that's a Methodist thing, a Southern thing, or an everybody thing, but it seems like any time we get together as church, we mark it somehow with some, some sort of food, some sort of drink. We do that as families too, don't we? We gather around a table and we enjoy time together, even if it's just those big holidays or special occasions. Those times we gather around together are special. But it's hard to recreate that seven days a week. We're so busy. It's hard to find time to sit down with family and friends. We have meetings and soccer practices and guitar lessons and tutoring sessions. And you fill in the blanks with whatever your family obligations are. So it reminds us when we think about the the, the symbolic world that Jesus is engaging and the way his first hearers would have heard these verses and how we hear these verses here and now. The idea seems foreign. Author and pastor Tony Campolo tells a story of an experience he had at a dinner in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, some years ago. This comes from the book uh, by Tony Campolo, Stories That Feed Your Soul. And this part of it is told by someone who was interviewing him. And I quote, he was checking on mission programs that his, that his organization carries out day in and day out in Haiti. He wanted to see how the workers were surviving emotionally and spiritually. At the end of a long day, he was tired and peopled out. So it was with great relief that he sat down to eat at a good good dinner at a French restaurant in the heart of Port-au-Prince. He was seated next to the window so he could enjoy watching the activity on the street outside. The waiter brought a delicious-looking meal and set it in front of him. Tony picked up his fork and was about to dive in when he happened to look to his right. There, with their noses pressed flat against the window, staring at his food, were four children from the streets. They pressed their faces right up against the glass. They were staring at his plate of food. The waiter, seeing his discomfort, quickly moved in and pulled down the window shade, shutting out the disturbing sight of the hungry children. The waiter then said to Tony, don't let them bother you. Enjoy your meal. In this morning's scripture reading, Jesus Jesus is challenging us on who we pull the shades down on. Jesus knows that it's a lot easier to figuratively or metaphorically, if not literally, pull down the shades on the people it's easier not to look at. We shut people out that we would rather not think about. We certainly pull down the shades on some of the world's heartache and problems, its pain, and we keep that heartbreak and pain at a distance, if only because the thought of it overwhelms us. In the scripture reading, Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God using that parable of a wedding. Think about a wedding. Then is now, there is here. Weddings are huge celebrations. 
they're an opportunity to invite family and friends, all the people who you love and who love you, people who are a part of you, people who have made you who you are. The most important people in your life are at your wedding. And if they're not, there's generally a pretty good reason. They're people who know you best and whom you know in turn. These are the same people you gather around the table with. They're our family and friends. They're those who are closest to us, those we wouldn't fail to value. People we would want there. But Jesus, using this example of a wedding feast, reminds us that the kingdom of God is not just for the people that make us comfortable. They're not just there also for the people we might pull the shade down on. That the kingdom of God is means we value those who we might tend to exclude, to write off. Jesus is pushing us to reflect on our lives and to be clear that just because we've pulled down the shades on certain folks, that doesn't mean that God has. You know, sometimes we make assumptions about people. We don't mean to. But we see people without really seeing them. We see people without seeing their face or their eyes. We don't think about them as people who have problems. We don't think about them as people who have 